I was many, many years away from even thinking about being ordained while I was reading one of the accounts of the temptations of Jesus. And I realized, I was thinking about it, and I thought, it's not a temptation unless you want to do the thing, or eat the thing, or whatever. And that surprised me, and it gave me a new look at those temptations. We all know that Jesus was tempted, yet without sin, because the writer of the book of Hebrews tells us that. So if he was tempted after the 40 days in the wilderness, he must have wanted to turn rocks into bread. And that's understandable because he hadn't eaten for 40 days. But wanting to jump off the pinnacle of the temple to see who would catch him, that boggles my mind. And wanting to have all the kingdoms of the world be his, well, that boggled my mind until I think, I don't know when, it must have been last year, first Sunday of Lent, or maybe another first Sunday of Lent, I was reading a commentary, and they said that actually the temptations, the first and third, were sensible because the people of Israel, many of them were hungry. They were an occupied nation. So if Jesus had the, if he could turn rocks into bread, he could feed those hungry people. And if he had all the kingdoms of the world in his power, he could free his people from the Romans. I don't remember what they said about the pinnacle, though that's still... I can't imagine wanting to go, whoo! I don't know why. And I can't remember much. Let's see. But this year, as I read it, I remembered that thing in my head, but I was struck this time by what Jesus did in order to resist those three temptations. Because we just heard the Genesis reading, Eve did not resist. And so I looked hard at that text in Genesis, too, just reading it in English, not in Hebrew. Because when we tell the story, a lot of times we emphasize, we call the fruit an apple. Oh, it was a beautiful apple, and she was tempted by the apple. But if you listen to the serpent, who was a serpent, a snake, not the devil, no mention of a devil, the serpent said, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God. And when I read that, I thought, you know, I'd have eaten dog poop in order to be like God. That was quite a temptation, wanting to be like God. And just to clear up some things in case, you may already know, but I had looked closely for the first time, I guess, and noticed that Adam was with Eve during that whole conversation. He heard it all. So it wasn't like Eve and the snake were having a conversation, then she went and gave the fruit to Adam. He is there with her the whole time, and Eve does not force Adam to eat. She shares this fruit that is going to give her the knowledge of good and evil, that's going to make her like God. She shares that with him. They both, in that um, relationship that they have with God at the present, they are both intimate and innocent in their relationship with God, but after they eat the fruit, that relationship is changed forever. And St. Augustine later gives us the doctrine of original sin, which I won't even go to. I would say in today's modern language, Eve made a poor choice. But we also read about Jesus, who did it right. He did not make a poor choice. Unlike Eve, he manages to resist not one, but three temptations. And I always like to imagine how that happened. What might he have been doing 
from the time that he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness and the end of the 40 days when he was tempted. We do know he was fasting. That's actually in the text. But I want to invite you to use your imagination and see if you can think of anything else. 40 days, mind you, 40 days. What might Jesus have been doing while he was in the wilderness for 40 days? And I'm going to invite you to speak out because I just worked on a Curcio weekend and for the first time ever when I was giving a talk, someone commented, uh, a, an attendee at Curcio commented, he interrupted me twice. And so I, I invite you to speak out. What can you imagine that Jesus was doing during those 40 days? There are no wrong answers, so you can rest. I'm sorry? Communing with the animals. Noticing creation. Noticing creation. Lane had something. You want to offer that, Lane? Sleeping. Yep. <laughs> I don't think Lane means he was sleeping the whole time, yeah. but eight hours a day, probably. How about anything else? Praying. Who said that? Yeah, praying was the one I wrote down, but there were lots of things that I knew I was leaving out. So thank you all for being bold enough to... Anybody else have another comment? <laughs> I know that was rich. <laughs> Studying the rocks, and that's, it was a rocky place. And Carol? Looking at the stars. Um, sorry? Looking at the stars. Looking at the stars. Stars are exquisite. We don't see them much anymore, but in the wilderness, they are amazing. Carol? Noticing the light and the dark. If any of you are photographers, that especially means a lot to you. The way light comes in, and it changes every day. It never comes in exactly the same. Trying to keep in the shade of the cliffs. Thank you. Trying to stay in the shade of the cliffs. Good. Well, thank you all. That was, I didn't know if you'd take me up on that, but bravo, bravo. So I was going to say, I would have bet $500 that Jesus did some praying. He probably did all the other stuff too, but I'm looking at how he resisted temptation. And so I think he probably did a lot of praying. And not necessarily the kind of praying we think of with, Dear Father, please, I'm really hungry. Or, Dear Father, the sun is hot. But just being in relationship with the Father. Doing something that looks more like centering prayer. Not a lot of talking but a lot of silence. Okay, now I want you to also think about those years leading up to this journey into the wilderness. The last record we have of Jesus before he begins his ministry is in Luke, when he stays at the temple and talks to the priests there, and his parents start off on, on the way home and then realize he's not with them and they go back. He's 12 years old when he does that. It's been Passover and... He's staying in the temple. He sasses his mother a little bit and says, well, you should have known I'd be in my father's house. He probably didn't say it with that tone of voice, but you know, I'm exaggerating. Um, and then he goes home and he continues to be under their authority. But that's the last we know of him. So from the age of 12 to the age of 30, he's been doing a lot of spiritual work. I would bet a whole year's salary that he did lots of prayer. And again, prayer that we might not think of just simply getting to know his father, listening, a lot of listening, a lot of what I would call 
centering prayer or something that looks like centering prayer. I also suspect Jesus in those years did a lot of observing, noting what honorable, good behavior, godly behavior looked like, and noting cruel behavior, and perhaps speculating how that came to be. What makes one person good and what makes one person mean? And I would specifically mention tax collectors who took extra money from their own people in order to uh, make themselves rich. And I bet Jesus wondered about that. And if I, I think if Martin Luther King Jr. had a dream of justice, I suspect Jesus had a dream too about what the world might look like if the kingdom of God were to take place right there in the nation of Israel. So for 18 years, Jesus lived however he lived. My, my way is just imagination. You might have another way for thinking of how he lived. He was earning a living, and he was paying lots of attention to the world around him and spending every spare minute, I think, with his heavenly Father. For 18 years, 18 years, he did that, preparing. And only at the end of 18 years did he go to his cousin John and ask to be baptized. John was out in the wilderness telling people to repent, which means turning from one way and going another, turning from the world's way and going God's way. And immediately after John baptized him, he was, in our gospel today, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for a 40-day silent retreat. And then, 18 years and 40 days after this, um, Jesus began his saving work. He has practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced before he began that saving work. And practice is the way we all get good at doing things. I don't know how many years ago it was, but at one point I was teaching seventh grade reading at Connell Middle School in San Antonio, and I had a unit on the Holocaust. And together we were reading a book called Number of the Stars, a fiction book, and every day they were seeing a little tiny portion of the diary of Anne Frank. I also called up the Jewish Community Center and found out that they had speakers who would come and talk about the Holocaust to kids for free. So I had a woman come out. I don't remember the first five periods of that day. Uh, I don't remember how they were different. But the woman finished her presentation by asking the kids, so now you know how this all began and how it led out. Do you, if this happened in this country, would you want to be a perpetrator, a victim, or a passive observer? I have no idea what the first five classes said. Obviously nothing momentous. But in the sixth period class, a boy named Javon said, I want to be a rescuer. And you could see her kind of, she didn't jump as big as I did, but she moved. She wasn't expecting that. That was not one of the choices, but she, she was well-practiced herself, a professional. And she immediately said, do you know how you do that? Do you know how you become a rescuer? And of course, the kid, no, I didn't know. She said, you start today by telling the truth every time. You start today by doing your homework, even when you don't want to, when you'd rather be outside with your friends. You start today 
by telling your parents where you were, even though you know you're going to get in trouble when they find out. You start today over and over and over doing little things so that if the time ever comes when you are called to save a life, by being brave, you will have the courage and the know-how to do that because you will have practiced and practiced and practiced. Oof. Practice, practice, practice is just what Jesus did long before he began his saving ministry and during that time too. We read in the Gospels how he went off to pray over and over again. And when he faced the tempter in the wilderness, in this Bible lesson, this uh, Gospel lesson that we just had, he beat the devil hands down with his knowledge of the law. He'd also studied, obviously. He quoted Deuteronomy three times, bing, 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 and knocked the devil flat. But it was that practice, <laughs> practice, practice that enabled him, when he was there in Gethsemane, awaiting capture, and torture, and crucifixion, that he was able to resist the last temptation. Well, I invite you again to a holy Lent. I invite you to consider taking on the practice of centering prayer, which can be done alone. There's an app on the phone called Centering Prayer, and you can set the timer. It has a gong that starts it and a gong that ends it. But it's much more powerful when it's done with other people. It's amazing. And just after listening to the presentation by Brian during the adult forum, talking about preparing for the new rector, I thought, whoa, what would happen if there were small groups of people meeting to do centering prayer with that in their hearts? Help us call the right person. Help us to be the people. Help us to do this process well. So there's something really powerful about doing centering prayer with other people. And we have two opportunities here in this place. On Saturday morning at 11 a.m., there is a basic bare-bones centering prayer that takes place in the ch uh, Chapel of the Holy Spirit down in the Student Center. It starts at 11. It ends at 11.20. You just come. And there's another one that's been going on for years that starts at 4.45 on Sunday afternoons in the parish hall, either in the library or upstairs in Laura Corner. It lasts till 6.00. And that group doesn't just do centering prayer like the Saturday morning. They read books together, they talk, but then they do centering prayer. But however you decide to do Lent this year, whatever practice you decide to take on, if you do decide that, you want to do that because when the tempter comes, and it will, and it won't be a snake, that would be easy. It'll be something that looks more like television, or Facebook, or newspapers, or maybe bad friends. But when the tempter comes, you want to be able to turn away from that and turn toward the one who gives us life and gives us abundant life. 